Andy, how did monkeys get to the Arctic? Answering that question, Tessa, would spoil the ending and the sequel for Monkey Heist, so I refuse to answer it. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy Bowman, and with me are my co-hosts, Tessa Suela. Hello. And Sam Morris. Hello. This week, we're joined by James, host of... uh, James, remind me of all the podcasts you're doing these days. I have one that we're kind of like is kind of on an indefinite break called Lesbianist. And then I'm currently producing two, which are like coming out soon-ish, like uh, Archive Admirers, which is a podcast about the Magnus Archives, which like that's going to come out like in two weeks-ish. And then Hyperfixations, which is we talk to people about their very specific areas of interest. And the the first episode of that came out today, actually. Ooh, I'm so excited. Yeah, awesome, awesome. James is back to talk with us about devs. Tessa goes to Atlanta. Sam purifies himself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. And whatever people say about me, that's my favorite worst nightmare. So humbug it and see what I do in the AM while I have a brainstorm during my fluorescent adolescent uh, tranquility base hotel and casino. That was a really long way of saying you're doing the Arctic Monkeys this week. Really long way. Yes, yes. uh, I'm going to be quite long winded. But first, we should talk with James. Okay, James, you did devs, is that correct? Yes, I did. Can you tell me who the creator of that show is? It's Alex Garland. Uh, He wrote and created it. Okay, and have you had any experience with Alex Garland? Because I have a lot of experience with him. I haven't, but like when I was looking into the thing, they were like, oh yeah, this is a very Alex Garland thing. And I'm like, I don't know what that vibe is, but I'm here for it. (laughs) That's the perfect way to describe Alex Garland. I don't know whether this is a good or bad entry point into the Alex Garland verse. He is the person who at least wrote the Judge Dredd movie. I wrote a bunch of Danny Boyle's bigger movies, 28 Days Later and Sunshine. Ex Machina, which I'm writing about for my dissertation. Yeah, yeah. And he he was also claimed to be the uncredited director of Dredd. So there's that as well. And of course, a fantastic movie that came out a few years ago, Annihilation. This was the oh yeah. This was the big follow up to some rather uh, heady and wonderful uh, movies. If you have not seen Dread, it is surprisingly good. Like really good. If you like action movies, is that the one with Carol Urban? Yeah, yeah. And Ex Machina is about androids and has Domhnall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander. It's quite good as well. Annihilation also has Oscar Isaac and. Um, I forgot her name. Oh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, I wanted to say Anne Hathaway, but no, it's Natalie Portman. And uh, it's Gina Rodriguez, <laughs> Tessa Thompson. Like, there's a ton of people in that movie. Right. It's it's a wonderful and uh, terrifying movie. But Devs was the big kind of follow up. I don't know how it came out for you across the pond, but for us, it was a Hulu original. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like Hulu and FX thing. What made you decide to put this on your backlog? So, like, I think I mentioned it in in the episode I was in before where I talked about Mr. Robot, where I just look at all of the the things that, like, Rotten Tomatoes and places put out, like, here's the sort of upcoming things that are coming out uh, in whatever month for whatever year you're in. And I, like, just go for whatever month is upcoming and see what I find interesting. And I'll, like, watch trailers for some. So I remember, like, putting this on my list around the time it was coming out. I put it on at the same time as I put AMC's Dispatches from Elsewhere because I was like, yeah, kind of like funky mystery vibes. Uh, that like, And also because like Dev seemed sort of high concept sci-fi. Uh, that's something I want to get into. Uh, I will. If you want to get into high concept sci-fi, Alex Garland is a great place to start, at least with Annihilation and Ex Machina. I have not seen Devs. And much like you, though, I... As soon as I heard about it, I was just like, that sounds cool. Put it on the th- put it on the list. Oh, it's got Nick Offerman in it, too. I'm so on board. Yeah. Have not seen it yet. Though. Nick Offerman and uh, Allison Pill. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a I have a huge uh, crush on Allison Pill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really 
wanted to, to watch this and then the pandemic happened and it just killed any desire to watch anything that might be painful. Yeah, I think that's sort of like the motto of the last year and a bit, just and then the pandemic happened. Give me a high-level overview. What What is Devs about? So Devs is a, it's a, it's a miniseries which is about these people who work for like a tech company. The main, the main character is called Lily Chen, and her and her boyfriend work at this quantum computing tech company called Amaya. And then her boyfriend gets called to work into like the elusive project that like it's literally in the middle of the woods this building and it's called devs and he gets invited to work there and then he goes missing and then he apparently commits suicide but she doesn't believe it so then it sets up this whole mystery that she has to look into that like that's the the starting point of the series i don't know how in-depth i can go because it's only eight episodes and it's a mini series Hmm. It's not, it's not like Mr. Robot where it's like, you know, you got your, what, 10 episodes and that will lead into like three more seasons. Does it have like a definitive end or is it like a, haha, hope we get renewed? No, no, no. Uh, it, it's like has a very definitive end. And I like before I had watched the last two episodes, I looked up, was it renewed? And they were like, no, Alex Garland just wants it to be a mini series that like of eight episodes. And I can, I can really respect that. Like, as someone who's watched all of Supernatural, I can respect a show knowing when to shut up. <laughs> oh, man, I, I need to go back and finish the last five seasons of Supernatural at some point. Some of them are worth it. Is, are you saying that Supernatural is the show that won't shut up? Well, it has now, for better or worse. So many shows, though, like that have no reason to have Supernatural plot lines are just doing them now. Like, I, I guess it's just in an effort to jazz things up, but it's like, like the CW's Nancy Drew, the main thing of that is a supernatural plot line, and it's literally just like, yeah, it is. It's, it's great. yeah, I'm like unironically addicted to the show. I've been watching it since it came out. It's probably the most productive I've been in terms of pop culture, and it's watching CW Nancy Drew. <laughs> Uh, I mean, to be fair, like uh, Riverdale is a guilty pleasure of mine, and that's uh, that gets pretty crazy. Uh, and soapy and stupid. Yep. And- uh, my friend Kat just tells me about the like the latest developments completely out of context. And she'll just send me messages that start off with like, I don't know how to tell you this, but... I have more than one friend that, that experiences Riverdale that way. That they just hear out of context what happened. So I, it's wonderful to know that that's the kind of insanity the show has produced. How long are the episodes of Devs? Uh, so like the, the shortest one is about 42 minutes and the longest one uh, is the premiere one, which is about 55. So it's, it's about like eight hours of content then. Yeah. About eight hours. Go going into this and knowing about an annihilation and how heavy that is. Is this a, a heavy show? Is this a, a feel good show? No, it's definitely not a feel good. Sh- well, parts of it are kind of. So like, I feel when I was considering like, what I'm actually talking about now. And then I was like, I've been on and talked about Mr. Robot. And like, did I subconsciously pick another kind of like techie kind of show that raises questions? And I'm like, not intentionally, but I feel like this is a very interesting follow on mm-hmm. to Mr. Robot where this one, it's like, instead of sort of the societal aspect of it, it's like really moral questions about like, if you had extremely powerful technology, like what would you do? Would you become God? Like, that's a really, really intense part of the show, but there's also just extremely intense scenes of violence. They're really intense, but they're not done in kind of an elegant, you know, the way like Game of Thrones back in the like season four kind of era where they like something really brutal would happen. Like they crush Oberyn Martell's head or something. And like, it'd be really, really showy. This one's like, the violence is really, really sparing, I guess. It, it's shown and it's meant to be like, this is a horrible thing that's happening. And it just like lingers on it. It's definitely not a feel good show. Awesome. Okay. So wait for the, after the pandemic for me, when I'm in a better <laughs> mental state, how is Nick? Offerman yeah. Although I will say, yeah, I, that's, this actually ties into what I was going to say. There's like a brutal murder happens like for an uncomfortably long amount of time in the first episode. And it's still somehow, at least for me, not as disturbing as a scene at the start of the episode where Nick Offerman eats kale out of a box. (laughs) 
he just like shoving it in his mouth. He like he's so I don't know. It's so uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> I was just asking because Nick Offerman, like historically for me, I associate him with comedy and some very, very funny comedy. I've even seen him perform his comedy. And so I, you know, it was very odd to me to see him attached to this project. So it it works, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, actually. So like there's a lot of actors who kind of typecast in a role or the play themselves and everything like Jack Black does. Nick Offerman in a lot of things that I've seen him in, like Parks and Rec, and also like the as the dad in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, he's playing kind of the soft spoken, like secretly funny and, and like big hearted kind of guy. And he's he's carries that through to Dev, but he's also got the like fun added, like spicy uh personality trait of being a low level psychopath. So he's got this like haunting sort of presence which is really weird for nick offerman and he's got like a big bushy beard and long hair and so he's got that and he's got like you know a haunted look in his eyes but he's also just like legitimately funny i like calling psychopaths spicy i'm gonna start using that it sounds really good to me so overall are you a um recommend don't recommend i'd recommend it yeah like it definitely like i know i said it's not a feel-good stuff but like even now in sort of the pandemic and and now like it's gone on for a whole year there's still some like quite interesting emotional questions it raises so i'd recommend it on those alone even if i discarded the whole sort of like technological spy mystery thing that was happening who would you recommend this to would people who aren't into sci-fi like it do you think i think it would because i don't know how in-depth i can go into this so yeah, i'll try and, be and I'm, like, I'm sorry i'm trying not to make you you spoil things too this is like a hard thing to talk about because with sci-fi anything can happen and it's like it, it's usually a big reveal when stuff like that goes weird yeah i'm gonna go with like something very vague like like it'll appeal to people as well because I, I suppose it'll help a lot of the characters in it are processing some kind of trauma and that's reflected through the narrative and that's like something that really, really spoke to me, the, the way that you process. Like, so it, it basically sets up at one stage. It's like in a, in a world where infinite things could happen and infinite possibilities where all of your choices can have limitless outcomes. Like, how do you process the grief of your own actions? Yeah, I like that. Before we move on past Alex Garland, I, Alex Garland's been a fixture in my life for over 20 years now. He wrote one of my favorite books of all time. Before all the 28 nonsense and all the sci-fi stuff and the ex machina and the Oscar Isaacs dancing and all that great stuff, (laughs) he was a novelist. And he wrote, uh, his very first novel is The Beach, came out in 96. It's about a British backpacker who ends up in Bangkok one night, one night in Bangkok, and finds like this map to this place called Eden. And just all kinds of weird stuff ensues. And it got adapted into a movie that wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. But it had um, Leonardo DiCaprio in it in one of his first bigger roles. It has one of my all-time favorite quotes from a book. And this is what Alex Garland can do. So here it is. Game over is my favorite thing about playing video games. Actually, I should qualify that. It's the split second before game over that's my favorite thing. And he talks about Street Fighter 2 a little bit there. The split second is the moment you comprehend you're just about to die. Different people react to it in different ways. Some swear in rage, some sigh or gasp, some scream. I've heard a lot of screams over the 12 years I've been addicted to video games. Personally, I'm a rager. I fling my joypad across the floor, clench my eyes shut, throw back my head, and abuse at anything within abusing distance. A few years ago, I had a game called Alien 3. It had a great feature. When you ran out of lives, you'd get a photorealistic picture of the alien with saliva dripping from its jaws, and a digitized voice would bleed out. Game over, man. I really used to love that. And, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I had this very visceral memory of playing Super Mario Brothers on the original Nintendo, and when you don't hit the A button hard enough and you just kind of bloop into the chasm, there's no double jump, there's no nothing, nothing that you millennials have, nothing, no get out of jail, you die. No continues, no nothing. And just 
seeing a writer being able to capture that feeling was something, man. Alex Garland's got it. I always wish he hadn't gone into films as much as I like some of this stuff. But anyway, that's Alex Garland. We're good to move on to something uh, a little different, a little bit of conversation where I want to ask people, have you ever experienced something in pop culture that on paper you should love? And Sam, I don't mean on paper like a book. Well, that's too bad because you're going to get it. One of the things that's on paper that I really should have loved but didn't was Alex Garland's final novel, Coma, from 2004. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. Let me, uh, I will right finish the question. There. You should love, uh, in theory, but ultimately you did not. Tessa, what about you? I, I hate to say this because, because James just raved so much about how he much he loves the show, but... Actually, CW's Nancy Drew is one of these for me. I think it's just because I was expect. I mean, maybe I should go back and watch it again. I watched the first three episodes and I stopped watching it partially maybe because I was CW'd out at that point because um, I had been watching all of the crisis material for that oh, yeah. series that Andy and I did or Andy and Sam and I did. I think, too, I just thought it was going to be another Veronica Mars, and it was so different from what I was expecting. Like, I really wasn't expecting the supernatural element to be, like, real, and so it was just very off-putting to me in that way. I was expecting it to be more about her. I don't know. Just, I will I will say ahead. that, like, at, like episode three of season, like, even then I was like, oh, this is, you know, like, this is kind of bad. But I have this thing where it's like, if I start something, I have to finish it, which is why I watched both seasons of You. Um, I love You! You yeah, is great! But, like, it does... Nah, I hate watch that. But, like, it does. Like it really does pick up after episode three. Nancy Drew, not not You. I, I just <laughs> despise that show. <laughs> why do you hate You? I'm actually really curious now. Why I hate You. <laughs> it sounds so, like... I thought the first season was kind of passable, where it's like, I couldn't really root for any of the characters. I just like, but I was like, you know, it's a reasonably solidly paced kind of thriller in this stalker narrative. But then like season two, just like, like absolutely everything about that narrative, bar Robin Lord Taylor, who's now blonde, just really, really annoyed me. And it's like, is this what they're going to do for every successive one? And that's what I'm I'm sort of like curious in a darkly intrigued way, you know, where it's like, I just I have to see, are they gonna keep doing this? Because if they keep doing this ad infinitum, he's just gonna like end up on the moon because he's gone to a location going, I won't mm-hmm. kill anybody, uh, and then like kill someone, things spiral and he has to take another identity. He's just like Joe Goldberg is going to be on the moon. See, my favorite part of the show is the fact that Joe Goldberg thinks that he's like this really smooth, like great stalker, like almost Hannibal-esque, but he's not. He's really bad at crime. And it is like my favorite part of that show. That bit where he he breaks peaches in Central Park and then like, (laughs) yes, I've gotten away with it. Like, what? (laughs) This is this is one of Tessa and I's favorite TV tropes over the past year or so is bad at crime. Bad at just, crime. Just watching people just utterly fail at being bad people. By the way, I will take your Nancy Drew, Tessa, and raise you the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, that was another one that seemed like it was going to be great and just kind of fizzled out. Turns out you cannot create an Archieverse. You just have to do every weird thing on the mothership. It won't succeed anywhere else. One question for you, James: Are you going to watch You season three when it comes out later this year? Exactly. I will. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna binge it all the day it comes out, <laughs> and then I will take to Twitter. Uh, the book, which I believe is called Hidden Bodies, if I remember right, ends. Yeah, that's differently. the one. That season two is. Yeah, it ends differently. It has a much more satisfying ending, and. The thing that's unsatisfying, I believe that this is a two-parter. First of all, this is a George R. R. Martin situation. The book for season three does not exist yet, although she is supposedly writing books three and four simultaneously. I'm going to be really brief and just say, uh, like the book and the series of normal people, which like really infuriates me because it's like set. All of the characters go to the college that I go to. And 
they all do the like scholarship exams that I do and they get it and I didn't. And that's like, that's a whole other thing. But then also one of the characters is an English student and he just infuriates me so much. I hate the book. It's so badly written and everything. And like they made a series of it because it got really big. And like I watched it, you know, just cause it, that was another Hulu thing. Hulu and the BBC collaborated. And like they made the best of a bad lot, but you can't really make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. All right. Uh, well, Tessa, what did you cover this week? I covered Atlanta, the FX show, not the city. Okay. <laughs> I like Flo Rida. Uh, so, so I guess I, I guess I have to ask, like, uh, Atlanta, I know I've seen season one, but what drew you to Atlanta? Uh, what drew me to Atlanta was Donald Glover, who... Who is Donald if, Glover? Who or is Donald should, Glover? Should I call him by his, uh, his, his Twitter, uh, Dong Glover? <laughs> who is Donald Glover? Well, those of you, some of you may know him from Community. Some of you may know him as Childish Gambino. In fact, he joked, he, he was on SNL in 2017, which seems so long ago. And he joked like a decade ago. Yeah, it feels like it feels like that. But he joked that for all the white people in the audience, he was in community and solo. But if you were black, he made Atlanta and Redbone, which Redbone is his big song as Childish Gambino. So I I thought that was a really funny (laughs) bit because I actually do think that most people who are white in the U.S. know him for community. But Atlanta is definitely a show that a lot of Black people watch and a lot of Black people really, really love. So I, the draw was Donald Glover for me um, because I've known about him for a while. I love his work as Childish Gambino. This is America is a video I still show my students sometimes. And it's just, he, he is a great artist, producer, musician, man of many talents. So I I was drawn to this. I do have to say, I had actually watched part of season one before I started it back up last week. I think I stopped watching it because if I have my dates correct, I was starting to study for my composition exams around the time that I was watching it. And so I just never got back to it. But I ended up watching the rest of the first season and the first part of the second season. For this episode. Beyond just the name of a city, what, what, it, what is the show? What is Atlanta? Yes. Uh, so Atlanta is like a half hour dramedy slash surreal comedy on FX. So Donald Glover plays Earn, who is a Princeton dropout. Um, we don't actually get to hear much about why he dropped out from Princeton. We just first see him, you know, kind of crashing on his ex-girlfriend's couch at the beginning He's looking for a way, he's sort of a, a dropout, unemployed, you know, doesn't have a lot going for him. He kind of bounces between his ex-girlfriend's couch and his parents' couch. Uh, but he's looking for a way to support his ex-girlfriend, Van, who's played by uh, Zazie Beetz, who some of you might know from Deadpool as Domino. And uh, they're a very small daughter together. Um, so in the very first season, he reconnects with his cousin, Alfred, who's played by uh, Brian Tyree Henry who goes by the name Paperboy. Um, He has just released like a viral rap video. So he's got like this low level celebrity and he's sort of writing it towards, you know, actually becoming a a famous rapper. And Earn offers to manage him, basically. So it's kind of about them navigating the music scene in Atlanta. And the series, it's actually the opposite of the problem James had, is that this series is really hard to spoil because it's so episodic. It's more like this sort of situational comedy in some ways. Like each episode is like a different scenario with these characters or a different setting. And it just sort of plays out towards its logical conclusion, which I really like. I think that uh, we've talked about this before on this show. A lot of TV has sort of gone more towards this like eight or nine hour movie model. And this definitely feels like an episodic television show, which I really appreciate. Cool. Uh, so it, it's an episodic show. Of course, Donald Glover is is famous for Community, uh, where that's where I really got to know him. And is this like a show for people who love Community? It depends. I think the humor is very different. Uh, so Donald Glover writes most of the episodes of this show along with his brother Stephen Glover. 
And most of the episodes are directed by Hiro Mirai, although I really quickly wanted to mention a couple of the episodes in season two are actually directed by Amy Steinmetz, who I wanted to mention because I wanted to promote her work. F*** you, Shane Carruth. This, this series is really Donald Glover's baby, and it has a much more black sensibility than than community it is much more situated in like the region of atlanta in fact i thought it i think it's a very funny show and i found it hilarious and very enjoyable to watch i think if you spent time i i find it very very funny it's a solid comedic show but i think it'd probably be funnier if you had actually spent time in atlanta um especially the atlanta rap scene um, because Atlanta has a huge, you know, uh, music scene, especially. And so I think there are definitely some inside jokes. It feels very lived in in some ways. So it's a little bit different from like the community sense of humor in that way. It won two Golden Globe Awards for Best Television Series um, and two Primetime Emmy Awards. In fact, Glover's uh, Emmy for Writing is actually the first one that's ever been given to an African-American for that category. So it, it, it's it's kind of a big deal among certain groups of people. So one of the big things, and we've talked about a, a few things over the time that we've been doing this show, Acorafor is who comes to mind. There's a big discussion about when you experience things as... Well, I'll just say, when you experience things as a white person, the default in popular culture is white person. And so we get very used to just the default recognizes the default. And a lot of critics and theorists talk about the fact that that is not so for many, many, many people on this planet. And so the the act of watching Atlanta for a white person is to say, I what is happening? This is not something I'm familiar with. And you can either be uncomfortable with that and enjoy it, and you'll get however many of the jokes you get, however many of the things that you can get, or you can decide to turn it off. But either way, you're experiencing something that many people typically experience when they, when they see and experience and watch and read and listen to things that white people create. And that's that's part of the experience of watching Atlanta from this perspective. And that's actually a big part of the humor of Atlanta. There's a lot in this show about white people trying really hard to appropriate black culture and how creepy it is and how weird it is that white people like desperately, desperately want to be part of this. And so there's one of my favorite jokes of the whole series so far. And there's a lot like I laugh out loud every single episode. But there's this great joke in the first, I think it's the first episode, where Donald Glover's character, Earn, is talking to like an old friend, like an old producer friend of his who's white, who's just talking about like all this rap, like music industry stuff. He he like drops the N-word several times. It's like a very uncomfortable like situation. But then he he's telling this story about how he was at this party and someone like put on Flow Rider. And can you believe that? Like Flow Rider isn't real. Like, you know, he put two songs in a row on a Flow Rider and like all this stuff. And it's just this really uncomfortable situation. But then later in the episode, Ern makes him retell this story to his friends, to Paperboy and to Paperboy's entourage. And one of Paperboy's entourage is just like, I like Flow Rider. Like, and it's just like the funniest, funniest joke. Like, uh, and I should mention that that person who says that is Darius, who is played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is one of the best parts of the show. Uh, this show gave us Lakeith Stanfield, for those of you following along at home. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. No, Short Term 12 gave us Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, for but those of us who haven't heard of Short Term 12. Yeah, I was about to say, Atlanta Donald gave us Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> Donald Glover made him famous. Uh, I, I, Lakeith <laughs> Stanfield is like one of the best actors out there right now. I would literally watch him in any movie. Like any movie that you want to put Lakeith Stanfield in, I am fine with. If you've seen Knives Out, you've seen him in that. Um Get Out he was in, which I guess I haven't seen it yet, but there's an Atlanta episode later that's very like Get Out like. And there it's just oh Sorry my God. to bother you. Sorry to bother you, which is just like the most messed up funny movie. I it's so good. Uh Judas and the Black Messiah. 
I haven't seen that yet, but yeah, I we are planning on watching that soon. But yeah, Lakeith Stanfield is a American treasure. He and is we have great. to take care of we him. We have to take care of him. But he was he, also in Bojack Horseman. He was in Bojack Horseman as well. He is the funniest character in Atlanta. Like all of these characters are great. Like I hate it when I'm watching a show and I'm only invested in a handful of characters and I don't really like the other ones. All of these characters are really, really well done, but Darius is just the funniest character. Like I just watch this show. It is it is excellent. You will laugh. I recommend that if you are not someone who is familiar with some of the Atlanta slang that goes on in here that you watch it with subtitles. That's just like my personal recommendation. I also recommend this show if you really like rap music. Donald Glover is a hip hop connoisseur as well as being an artist himself. And you will add a lot of stuff to your playlist if you watch the show. He he picks out his songs really, really well. Moving on, Sam, is Purple Rain a song, an album, or a movie? Well, Tessa, it's all three, because I believe one of the strongest things about this podcast is the fact that Andy's insistence that podcasting is a visual medium. I, I'm right now. I am holding up our our copy of the album Purple Rain. For mm. yeah, good times. Yeah, uh, you can see it. It's still in its plastic. Uh, it's probably never been opened. <laughs> you know, you owe it to yourself if you're going to listen to vinyl. You got to keep it in a plastic case. Yeah, uh, Sam's treating it like I would treat a um, a single issue of a rare magazine. So or a rare. Uh, comic book so i understand the answer to your question is it is in fact all three purple rain is a film from 1984 that stars prince his backing band the revolution apollonia morris day and his backing band the time purple rain is also an album that went 13 times platinum since it came out in uh, 1984 it was the number one album from August of 1984 to January of 1985. It replaced and then was replaced by Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. The song Purple Rain, depending on whether you're hearing it on the radio or not, is eight minutes long or four minutes long. It was only number two because Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is a straight-up banger. However, when Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy <laughs> from the album were both number ones. So... There you go. Purple Rain, a lot of things to a lot of people. It's an experience. That's right. Purple Rain, the experience. And just to clarify, you watched the film as your monkey, right? Like you'd heard the song Purple Rain before. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure. What is the best song from Purple Rain? And why is it Purple Rain? An actual question that Tessa asked me earlier this week. And by the way, before I answer that, I just want to point out, uh, to James's point that Purple Rain is an experience, Prince actually performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl a few years ago, and the most incredible thing happened during Purple Rain. It literally began to rain because Prince controlled the weather, you guys. So the best song from Purple Rain, the film and the album, is not, in fact, Purple Rain. It is a very good song, do not get me wrong. But When Doves Cry, man, is the best song from that album. And it comes at a really interesting part in the movie because Purple Rain is basically a half-plotted film, but half-compilation of staged live performances. And When Doves Cry is the only one not performed as a stage performance. It is the angry with myself and what do i do remembering all the bad things that happened montage and you know how much i love a montage now just to check andy and james have you seen purple rain no nope uh i don't even think i've heard the song fully from start to finish oh you should definitely hear the song (laughs) oh gosh makes me cry all right where does purple rain fall on a scale of shanghai surprise to desperately seeking susan and what is a Shanghai surprise? Tessa, if, if I told you that Desperately Seeking Susan was a movie starring Madonna, which you know, what would you I then that assume movie. that Shanghai Surprise is? Also a movie starring Madonna? And it's bad. I mean, can't you tell by the title? So Shanghai Surprise is probably the worst Madonna movie from the 1980s. You know, it, it, it does have a pretty decent song from George Harrison. 
I know you were thinking Madonna did the song for the album, for the movie, but no, she didn't. They decided to switch it up a bit. Right, yeah. So Desperately Seeking Susan is the best Madonna movie from the 80s. Shanghai Surprise is the worst. Who's That Girl is in the middle. And let's just pretend Dick Tracy came out in the 90s, which I think it might actually have. Purple Rain is definitely the the right in the middle, the who's that girl of the bunch. As I told you, it's it's half staged live performance and half plot. Here's, here it is. Prince plays the kid. He is not named. The kid is a young musician who leads a house band at a club in Minneapolis. He can't share creative control. He has an abusive father. He meets a girl. Hijinks ensue. Morris Day uh, is the antagonist. It's it's a really fun relationship. It's kind of like a Mozart Salieri situation. Like Morris Day works hard to create his art, which is good. But Prince is just you know the prodigy, right? You know that's that's all you need to know. It's it's really a vehicle for Prince to do his thing. He sketched out the big beats of the film and then wrote the music. Lots of the scenes for this movie were cut and shortened. So a lot of what he imagined didn't end up in the film. If you ever see the music video for When Doves Cry, most of it doesn't seem like it's in the movie. Well, it's not anymore. It used to be. Warner apparently didn't want to release the film. They thought it was outrageous. It had a $7 million budget and made $68 million from the box office. So who's the idiot here? Always the music ex- music executives, guys. That's always the lesson. <laughs> It won an Oscar for Best Score back when we really used to do that. Uh, It was also nominated for Worst New Star for Apollonia and Worst Original Song. Tessa, can you guess what the Worst Original Song was? Please tell me you know. Is it the song that Apollonia sings? Which is called? Sex Shooter. That's right. (laughs) And then the only other thing to know, which I did not know. Hold on. No, I need to. The song's called the what? (laughs) Sex shooter. And so here's the I'm thing. I'm so confused. <laughs> okay, okay. But here's... No, no, no. I can do you one better. Just put this on the top. This is the cherry on top. The the band that Apollonia starts, is it the Apollonia 6? Is that how we call it? Yes. It's called the Apollonia 6, but there are only three of them. So I'll leave you to imagine what the six things are. Eyes? Nope. so they made a sequel to the movie i knew this movie existed i did not know it was a sequel to purple rain in 1990 called no not batman (laughs) by the way do yourself a favor look up bat dance on youtube right now it's a journey had actually never seen bat dance i i I had obviously i knew about purple rain but the bat dance thing is that's intense prince thought that was art so the really great thing about Graffiti Bridge, which is the sequel, there's an album and a movie. It is a sequel. The kid has grown up and apparently shares ownership of a club with Morris Day. And they are straight up, the time are like straight up thieves in this movie. It's supposedly a very terrible movie, but it just sounds awesome. So anyway, Purple Rain was just, you know, a fun experience. I was really expecting you to to come out and say the sequel was called like, Purple Rain 2, Purple Harder, where the action all takes place at an airport now. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did, and I like it. You're speaking Sam's language Oh, that means Purple Rain 3 is set in New York with Bruce Willis. Quite a concept. But when does Prince shoot a motorcycle at a helicopter? I want to watch that movie. You say that like- It's the motorcycle he's riding on the album cover. That's the one yeah. he shoots. <laughs> he, he he actually rides the motorcycle as it's shot towards the helicopter. Netflix, yeah. Hulu, probably not Disney Plus because you're only doing PG. I don't know. I don't run your life. CBS Plus, you love rebooting things. Call us. <laughs> so uh, before I ask this last question, I have to say, Purple Rain, whether you like it as a movie or not, whether or not you think it's ridiculous, which parts of it are, parts of it aren't, it is worth watching just because... Prince is such a like beautiful artist, and the music is very good, despite the song "Sex Shooter" by Apollonia. Like it is worth watching his performances because he is just su- he's such a beautiful person. But I will end this segment by asking Sam. This is a question I asked you actually after we watched the movie and while we were listening to the vinyl because we did hadn't gotten enough of the the music from this movie. If you could go back in time and attend one concert, just one, 
I know that the right answer here is why do I have to choose, but I'm making you choose just one concert. Would you see a Prince show or a Michael Jackson show? And and the answer is simple. I would lo- I, I would hate to have to choose. I would love to see a Prince show, but you gotta go on the Michael Jackson bad tour. You gotta see a show from that. That's that's the end. That's it. That, that's your answer. That's it. Final that's answer. the final answer. Why would you want to go see the bad tour? It's it's not the good one. Well, it's a moment of determinism see, there. <laughs> I see what you did there. So after you finish looking at the bat uh, the bat dance video on YouTube, do yourself a favor and go ahead and watch Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana video. So there you go. Fun times. Speaking of music, Andy, there's a there's a there's a note here that says that I am to interrogate Andy about Arctic Monkeys, but here are the sum total of the things I can really say about the Arctic Monkeys. One, as anybody who downloaded music around the Arctic Monkeys' heyday, it is in fact Brian Storm, not Brainstorm. And two, I am not the target audience for the Arctic Monkeys. There is very clearly a target audience, and I am not that. I think it's me. I think I'm the target audience. <laughs> oh, this so this will be so, fun. I may need to turn this 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 segment over to to you, James. But but I'll just start, Andy. So you listened to the Arctic Monkeys, did you? That's right. I listened to the Arctic Monkeys, and I listened to the following songs: Arabella, Do I Want to Know, Fireside, I Want to Be Yours, I Want It All, Knee Socks, Mad Sounds, Number One Party Album, One for the Road, Are You Mine, Snap Out of It, Why'd You Only Call Me When You're High, Five O Five, Balaclava. Brian Storm, apparently. D is for dangerous. Do me a favor. Fluorescent adolescent. If you were there, beware. Old yellow bricks. Only one who only ones who know. Teddy picker. The bad thing. This house is a circus. Cornerstone. Crying lightning. Dance little liar. Dangerous animals. Fire and thud. My propeller. Potion approaching. Pretty visitors. Secret door. The jeweler's hands. All my own stunts. Black treacle. Brick by brick. Don't sit down because I've moved your chair. Library Pictures, Love is a Laser Quest, Pile Driver Waltz, Reckless Serenade, She's Thunderstorm, I don't know either, Suck It in C, That's Where You're Wrong, The Hellcat Spangled Sha-La-La-La-La, American Sports, Bat Phone, 4 out of 5, Golden Trunks, 1 Point Perspective, Science Fiction, She Looks Like Fun, Star Treatment, The Ultra Cheese, The World's First Ever Monster Trunk, Monster Truck Front Flip, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, a Certain Romance, Dancing Shoes, Fake Tales of San Francisco, From the Ritz to the Rubble, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, Marty Bum, Perhaps Vampires is a Bit Strong, But, Red Light Indicates Doors Are Secured, Riot Van Still Take You Home, You Probably Couldn't See Me for the Lights, But You Were Staring Straight at Me, When the Sun Goes Down, and The View from the Afternoon. I believe Just that I have identified the issue here, but before we get into that, you I... must have an opinion yes, that you're dying to share. I, I definitely, definitely do. But first, I thought it would be fun to play a little game, especially with James. Oh, no. Is and this going to uh, like be me trying to guess the song? <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you see, I've known Sam and Tessa for years. They should know me well and know my musical tastes well enough. But my own wife couldn't answer these uh, questions. And I think that's, this is fair game for a quiz about Andy's taste in music. Whatever it is, the answer is ska. Oh, see? Uh, that's about as much as my wife knew. But this is going to be a multiple choice quiz. Uh, you are all free to pick your, your answers. I had a lot of fun making this. So we're going to start with a simple, straightforward question, which is, which ska band does Andy not listen to? A, Less Than Jake. B, Real Big Fish. C, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Or D, Catch-22. And you can all discuss this as well uh, and try to come up with the right answer. Is there a band called Catch-22? Because I feel like if there isn't, then that multiple choice answer is a Catch-22 in itself. Uh, no, there actually is a band called Catch-22 and they're a, a ska band. Okay, and, and one thing that I will say is that um, if, the answer is, if the answer does in fact turn out to be less than Jake, I will be disappointed in you. Because they do some dope covers of songs like I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family and just some really fun stuff. However, 
I do know that you listen to Real Big Fish, so we're going to take that one off the board right now. What was C again? C was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which I'm gonna seems go with that like one. the obvious answer because it is the most mainstream. You are correct. I don't listen to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, but that is these, a that is like... a transcontinental high five, James. Woo! <laughs> these are all the bands that have like gotten pretty big from ska, especially to, to ska standards. Uh, I would argue that Real Big Fish and their hit. One hit single on MTV, Sell Out, which was about selling out in the... Uh, that was literally on the TV the other day. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, 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 great, a great fun. Okay, so you, you got that right. Now, which album does Andy know well enough to sing Start to End from Heart? Is it Some Nights by Fun, Sam's Town by The Killers, 1989 by Taylor Swift, or I and Love and You by the Avett Brothers. It's clearly 1989 by Taylor Swift. No, no other, uh, no other talking about this. The the Samstown's right there. See, like I, I kind of know Samstown, but also like I don't think like there's a lot of songs on it that people would just know off. But maybe you're just built different. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the rest, the rest of the people and say 1989. <laughs> And see, I think the really the only competition in my head for this one is is home state favorite, I and Love and You. But I'm not sure that's going to get it. Although, who knows? I don't know. I don't listen to the other brothers anyway. So, But it's not about me. It's about you. It could turn out to be fun, the one like none of us have mentioned up until now. <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, Some Nights by Fun. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. Uh, I also I also need to put a little bit of context in here. I have gone to ter- to, the, to karaoke with Tessa and Sam. I almost called it karaoke. Yeah, um, I don't think you did anything by fun though. No, 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 no. That, that that's too easy. It's because uh, he knew that beautiful- this question would come up one day, and if he sang it like from start to finish, use use would know. This is this is like the level of when you go back to look at Captain America, the first Avenger, and you're like, oh, they put something in there that showed up in Endgame. Wow. Continuity. <laughs> Gross. Every mixtape or burnt CD I've made for the past 15 years, they have all had one track on them. What is that one track? Is it A, Beer by Real Big Fish? B. Time of Your Life by Green Day, C, No Children by the Mountain Goats, or D, Undone the Sweater Song by Weezer. Sorry, I had to let out my obligatory don't, gasp when the Mountain Goats were mentioned. <laughs> don't ever send me a mixtape. <laughs> I am a fan of the Mountain Goats. Uh, mm. People who know me do know this. And of Weezer, apparently. John Darnielle signed my book, actually. I went to see them in concert. Yeah. I just really want to ask, Andy, are you one of those Weezer fans that like thinks everything they did after Pinkerton is trash, except for maybe the Green Album? I'm not referencing that Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> I refuse to. I mean, it's a fair question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I am one of the Weezer fans who likes the beginning of Weezer and weird chunks of albums from uh, the rest of their discography. I, I could really do this at this point, and I'll do it. Hey, Andy, do you like any of the songs from Hurley? I can't name any songs from Hurley, but I know I've listened to it. <laughs> hey, Tessa, did you know that there's a Weezer album named after a character from Lost? Please. It's now time for an episode of Has Tessa Seen Lost Yet? On this episode of Has Tessa Seen Lost Yet, Tessa, have you seen Lost Yet? Please don't. It's Christmas. This has been Has Tessa Seen Lost Yet. And I think we've done three layers of meta humor now, so I feel like we've done good today. All right. Now we got to guess the song, though. And I can reread them all over again. Please do. Please read read them again. Is it Beer by Real Big Fish? Time of Your Life or Good Riddance, parentheses, Time of Your Life by Green Day? 
No Children by The Mountain Goats, or Undone, The Sweater Song by Weezer. I have a follow-up question before I can answer this. When you use Good Riddance Time of Your Life, do you use it in the correct sense of the song, or you do you do it in the high school graduation, wedding, incorrect usage of the song? Uh, the correct usage. Okay, all right. I've heard... Uh... Good riddance time of your life being played at funerals, which I just think is like <laughs> that is so disturbing. There's a there's a storyline on ER where uh, this kid dies, this teenager dies. It's like a slow death, and like his favorite song is Good Riddance, and so they play it at his funeral. And I'm like, why? This is almost like one of the most famous, uh, hilarious. Uh, one of my uh, also favorite songs, Brick by Ben Folds being played at weddings. That's right. A song about teenage abortion being played at weddings. Imagine if they played No Children by the Mountain Goats at your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with the Mountain Goats just because I know you really like the Mountain Goats. I'm going to go with... So I don't think it's Real Big Fish because you just talked about Sellout earlier on. So I'm going to go with, I think, Time of Your Life by Green Day. I'm going to go with Undone. Well, uh, you are all wrong. It is Beer by Real Big Fish, which is one of the catchiest boppers I've ever heard. Oh, my did God. It. Yeah, uh, I, I seriously do recommend people who even aren't familiar with Ska to listen to uh, Beer by Real Big Fish because it is so much fun and I am all about it. Anyway, next question. I prefer bluegrass covers of which of the following bands? Blink-182. <laughs> Modest Mouse. Metallica, or D, A and B, somehow the Metallica bluegrass covers are worse. I feel like D is the correct answer here because it's such a weird answer. I'm going to go A. Pass. Uh, Middle school Tessa is like throwing up right now. This one was supposed to be just kind of a a gimme. It is is actually D. Uh, Oh, God. Blink-182 and Modest Mouse, uh, there are two bands, Honey Wagon and Iron Horse, that did covers of their music and they are amazing which is great because i already love the original source material metallica is just meh the bluegrass metallica covers at least now i'm imagining though now i'm imagining a bluegrass cover of like with the bells from saint anger (laughs) uh there have been a few bands that have done that oh really i i just like that's probably the most cursed thing you've ever heard like (laughs) (laughs) uh metallica is a weird a weird question number six According to actual stats from my Zune and every other music streaming service I've listened to. Yes, I have a Zune. It still works? Yes. I have Uh, an iPod Classic. Tessa Tessa had a Zune when she was younger. She's not ragging on you. No, I'm just surprised because I thought they just continued support for that. They they, they did. Uh, You can still have it. I don't use it anymore, but it is workable. Uh, I love my Zune. I love it so much. But I have the actual stats from that and then any other streaming service I've used. What band have I spent the most time listening to? A, Vitamin String Quartet. B, Real Big Fish. C, Bad Religion. Or D, The Mountain Goats. The Mountain Goats? I'm going to say D, Mountain Goats, yeah. It's Vitamin String Quartet. Sam might have picked up on something I've mentioned uh, either on or off mic uh, a few times. Yes, it is the Vitamin String Quartet. Because wow. they are my standard go-to study music, listening music, uh, working on anything that I can't have words in the lyrics music. And, and plus, the, it was really just between them and Real Big Fish because um, uh, song links on Bad Religion aren't going to get you where you need to go and Mountain Goats don't have that big of a catalog. Uh, yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they have a massive catalog. It's ex- like honestly exhausting trying to find all of them. Like they even have the, a, they have a song that's called "The Ultimate Jedi" who wastes all the other Jedi's and eats their bones. What is this band? <laughs> so Sam, uh, the Mountain Goats have twenty studio albums. Cool, and then probably hundreds of uh, like tapes and EPs and stuff. Uh, exactly. Okay. Okay. Okay, um, next question. What genre was number one on Andy's last year in music? Is it A, steampunk quartet, B, electro swing core, 
C. Pirate Prog Metal. Or D. DIY Anarcho-Punk. E. Ska. <laughs> F. Podcast. I'm going to go with C. Pirate Prog Metal? Yeah, Electro Swing Core. Yeah, I'm going to go with A. Vitamin String Quartet. Uh, well, it was D. DIY Anarcho-Punk. You are such but a I thought strange... that all those genres were, were really fun and beautiful and weird. So I had to read them out. Spotify once told me my, my top genre for the year was anti-folk. And I was like, what is anti-folk? Like, <laughs> Is it people being really mad at folk musicians? I don't know. I discovered my love of ska music from what? Is it A, a time when I got lost on a school field trip to a local college radio station and wound up talking to the DJ for half an hour? B, the time I accidentally stole bowling shoes from the bowling alley and had to go to school the next day uh, wearing them, and then a teacher asked me if I was a budding ska fan. C, a mislabeled download from Kaza Light, which made me think that My Chemical Romance had a Horden section. Or D, a CD I found in the parking lot of my town's arcade after a friend's birthday party, which was actually a Less Than Jake album. I like the school field trip one. Whether that's true or not, it's a great story. I, want, I, de- I so desperately want it to be... B with the bowling shoes because I can just envision that uh, walking in your teacher like teachers being like mm, so you were budding scum and you're like what no and it just you would die of the embarrassment <laughs> so I'm gonna uh, go with that well, <laughs> Sam do you have no no opinion I I mean C let's say okay well Sam Sam got that one right it yep. it, it was a, a missed download of of a of a Kaza light um but you should write a novel about someone getting into ska based it, on those scenarios it's it's called the ska awakening the ska awakening <laughs> well uh i like i said i was most proud of this question because it was it's it's the ska awakening and it has bowling shoes on the cover in this segment about the arctic monkeys in which we have not yet discussed the arctic monkeys i have a question for you you have named all of the songs you listen to but could you describe the process? How did you listen to all of these? Okay, this, this was the most intensive work I've done for a monkey. And this was not just an excuse to avoid work or other responsibilities. The way I did this was I started from the Arctic Monkeys' first album, which is whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. I listened to that, and then I kept going throughout all the other albums. Then I kept re-listening to them. This discography was my background music for the entire last two weeks. And it, it, is, it has been in my head. I have listened to each album according to the streaming service that I use at least five times. And I did this so I could make a tier list of all the songs. <laughs> Sam is trying to I'm, I'm, I, I'm broken. Hold on. I thought I knew what you were going to say. Okay. And then you said you listened to the albums as albums, and I was like, nope, nope, I guess there is hope for him after all. And then you made a tier list of the songs, and we're right back to where we started. Why did you do that? The, 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 the rational decision would have made a ranking list of the albums. You know, the art form in which it is intended to be listened to Sam and has, ranked. Sam has real opinions about listening to things in albums, if you can't tell, dear listeners. So they uh, made albums on purpose. So before I before I talk about this, I need to get one one word out as uh, any any good um, podcaster will do. I'm not trying to gaslight my wife. Is that what podcasters usually say? I'm not trying to uh, gaslight my wife. So <laughs> I am. So um, <laughs> I. It's gonna the, pay off when she watches Lost one day. Just you wait. <laughs> For for years and years, everyone that I know who knows my music tastes knows that one of my favorite bands, which was not mentioned in the quiz, is the Fratellis. Oh, yes. They have recommended the Arctic Monkeys to me. And my wife has been one of the biggest proponents of the Arctic Monkeys. And I, I, just, I just want to get that out of the way that I'm not trying to gaslight her about my music tastes. But spoiler alert, I really did not like these guys. Why not, Andy? 
What what about your listening experience made you dislike the Arctic Monkeys? I I I need need to qualify one thing here. Their one hit song that was on the radio everywhere that drove me crazy. That like seriously, I I I, I get sick just kind of thinking about it. Uh, their one hit song does do it is uh it is uh, do I want to know? Which is a great song. I disagree with you, but continue. And are you mine? Is their other really big one from that? So yeah, I just I just really wanted to to get that out there. Uh, on on paper, this is a band that I should love. It, they have everything about them musically is something that resonates with me from the the way that the vocals are to the music. But ultimately, uh, I could not find it in myself to truly love any of these songs. Any of these songs. I'm considering the Arctic Monkeys what I would call a part of band, which is bands that I l- really dig only part of their songs. How would you describe the Arctic Monkeys for people who are still thinking about listening to them? Like, uh, who they've still got these bands on their lists. Right. The Fratellis, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I truly, truly think, like, like I described it to uh, Sarah as, it's like the Fratellis had no soul or sense of humor the arctic monkeys just are so self-serious and just could not get into any of them and like i almost thought that i was being gaslit by everyone i've known for the the past 10 years who likes music because they keep telling me you would love this band and i it is so hard to explain why because on paper yes i should really really dig these guys but that that is not the case and i have gone to other music professionals friend of the podcast Luke who basically said no they're 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 pretty good but their songs don't go anywhere sorry i also thought sam was a much bigger fan of the arctic monkeys for some reason what why would i be i mean they're perfectly okay that's ultimately kind of what i came down to um, i know their their tier list has only one song that i'll listen to again and Which many is? more songs uh well, well we'll get to that is it is it fluorescent adolescent is it I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor? Is it Paul Driver Waltz? <laughs> <laughs> the, fact, the fact that Sam just listed off the top two songs on my tier list. Because they're the best Arctic Monkey song. I don't know what the... I'm, I feel like I'm being gaslit in this segment. <laughs> it's like You're trying to convince me that this is a weird take. This is the only correct take in my mind on the arctic monkeys it's just I, they're fine I, I really appreciate that because i've been told so many times yeah uh fluorescent adolescent is the only song that i think i'm going to actively seek out because it's really fun it's a bopper and i bet you look out on the dance floor is also a song that i really liked i'm not sure how uh, to wrap up this segment andy what do you want me uh, to ask you <laughs> ne- ne- neither neither no, I am think i that was I, a good wrap up can i, I can good. i say what my favorite piece of arctic monkeys related media yes, is yes, it's please. an interview with the band with alex turner and they're, they ask him what his name is, and he's like, I'm Alex Turner. And they're like, from, to like prompt him for what band he's from. He's like, from Sheffield. And they're like, no, from, <laughs> like, from Sheffield, <laughs> London. She- oh, the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> uh, oh, and I, and I should also say that um, it's not an Alex Turner thing because I really loved his soundtrack to the movie Submarine, which was uh, directed by Richard Awadi. Yeah, which had a, a, an acoustic cover of Pile Driver Waltz on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Paul Paul Driver Waltz was one of the songs that I liked. Mm. Um, I'm I'm actually just going to list out the like uh, ten songs that I that I liked besides Fluorescent Adolescent, and I like in I bet you look good on the dance floor. Marty Bum, perhaps Vampires is a bit strong. From the Ritz to the Rubble, Red Light indicates doors are secured. Still take you home when the sun goes down. A certain romance, Secret Door, Cornerstone, Black Trequel, and Reckless Serenade. And what these all have in common for the most part, is they're almost all from the first album from the Arctic Monkeys. Just just uh, listen to the first two albums. It's fine. That is exactly what I would think. Um, it, it just feels so, so weird to me to be told by many people that I would love them and then to find out that, no, I, I really did not love them. And I was, was hoping that there would be some contention here, but those are the ones. Uh, I also made a very much smaller list called Songs I Never Want to Hear Again. Do I want to know? Brick by brick. Why'd you only call me when you high? Are you mine? Knee socks and tranquility base hotel and casino. 
if if you like uh late aughts early teens indie rock legacy like brit pop yeah legacy brit pop i i would recommend other bands like the fratellis or the wombats or two-door cinema but club. yeah oh is two-door cinema club yeah. oh that that is the that is the other thing so my streaming player when the albums would finish would start playing other recommended songs and it was always at that point in time that my ears perked up and i was like oh is this a good arctic monkey song and it was always like the strokes or two-door cinema club or <laughs> something else the this bit has gone on far too long i have taken up far too much of everybody's time james where can people find you uh they can find me on twitter at spicy nigel where i'm probably tweeting that's what i seem to be doing nonstop uh these days or promoting my my many podcasts so i have one called archive admirers where we're doing a a re-listen and sort of thematic discussion of every episode of the Magnus Archives. You can find that on Twitter at Admirers Archive. And then my other podcast is called Hyperfixations, which is basically each episode we talk to a different guest about what their really niche area of interest or expertise is. And you can find that on Twitter at Hyperfixations P or on Instagram at Hyperfixations Pod. Sam, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9 and on Letterboxd at Archie Leach 9. You might also be able to find me this week in a abandoned lab searching for cake. I'll be talking about that next week. Tessa, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A and at the same name on Letterboxd. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. You can email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about what we talked about today, whether or not the Arctic Monkeys are actually any good, anything you'd like to see about, uh, to see us talk about in future episodes. I mean, come on, give, give us give us something here, guys. Uh, our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes. can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, go get that especially chili monkey off your backlog. <laughs> <laughs>